Father, we thank you first for your word. We thank you for the word we just read. The prayer for deliverance from evil men. And Lord, we ask you this morning to protect your people. Protect the saints. Protect, Lord, those who you have called by your name. Those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ from the evil people in our society who wish to do your people harm, whether through legislation, through laws, and even through physical means. We pray, Lord, that you deliver us from evil men to preserve us from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. Lord, they continually gather against the church they continually gather against your truth which is the only truth they gather against the truths of your word they sharpen their tongues they redefine terms to try to bring confusion into this world Lord keep us from the hands of the wicked who purpose to make our steps stumble who try to make things a stumbling block for us to worship you freely. Lord, they are proud. They're proud of their sin. They're proud of their rebellion. They're proud of their rejection of your truth. Lord, as the psalmist says, hear our voice, O God, the strength of our salvation. Lord, do not grant the desires of the wicked. They rise up against you, but Lord, may you thwart their desires to distort your truth to persecute your people to tell us that what we believe is wrong when we believe your truth Lord to attack you by proxy by attacking your truth Lord do not further their wicked schemes lest they be exalted Lord, protect your people this morning. And Lord, I also pray that you remember those who are among us who are experiencing discouragement, which is a normal experience for your people and for us as humans. Lord, as I read earlier today, prayer is the normal road on which we travel through it. So Lord, I pray this morning for those who are discouraged for whatever reason who are in this sanctuary and who are watching on Facebook and who will hear the podcast, Lord, that whatever discouragement they are encountering, that they travel through it with prayer, that they travel through it, Lord, by clinging to the truth of your word. Lord, sometimes our heart does cry out, why are you discouraged, O soul? Why are you down in spirit? But Lord, your word tells us to hope in God. To look up. To remind ourselves that our God lives. Our God is not a dead God. Our God is not somewhere out in the ether. Not attending to us. Our God is in heaven. Our God feels all things, heaven and earth. Our God lives. He is alive right now. 
Lord, we look up and we remind ourselves that you live, that the Lord is our Savior, that the Lord is our life, that the Lord is our rock on which we stand, that the Lord is our refuge in time of, tr- of trouble with whom, with whom we go to, and the Lord is our exceeding joy. Lord, those of us who are discouraged, may we put our hope in you. Not in the lies of this world. Not in self-worship. Not in just worshiping ourselves and wanting people to worship us. But Lord, we're called not to worship ourselves, but to look up to you and worship you as the one true God. Not seeking glory from another, but seeking to glorify you. Lord, whatever valley we're in right now, may our soul long for you. If we're thirsty right now, as Christ said on the cross, I thirst. Lord, Christ experienced dryness of soul. And Lord, we experience it sometimes. Lord, may our soul still long for you. When people turn to us and say, where is your God now? Lord, we remind him that our God lives. That we trust in you no matter what. No matter how foolish it seems. Lord, whatever discouragement we're facing right now, may we look to you and trust in you and depend on you and worship you and honor you and give praise to you, Lord, because you alone are God. You alone are good. You alone save to the othermost, those who are despondent because of their sins. Lord, may they run to the cross and repent, turn away from their life of sin, turn away from their life of rebellion, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have their sins wiped away, have their sin record wiped clean. Lord, there are many things that discourage us. But Lord, you made the heavens. You are mighty. Lord, all of us deserve death. But you save us from your wrath. Lord, may we long to be in your presence. For you are our exceeding joy. Lord, uplift the downcast right now. In heart. Heal those who are sick among us, Lord. And may they look to you as the great physician. To help them in their pain. Those of us in here who are trying to quit certain habits, Lord. Help us. Give us strength to quit those habits that are not good for us. May we look to you, Lord. The, the, the big idea is that in everything, Lord, may we look to you. You are the mighty God. You are the strong one. We are weak. You are the all-knowing one. We don't know all things, Lord, but you do. And Lord, because of that, may we look to you this morning. Lord, we pray for our sister churches. We pray for uh, Brother Bob at Anderson Bible and Carlton at Grace Fellowship and Anthony at Christian Fellowship and Phil at Redeemer and Cody at Iron City and Brother Justin at Mountain View and other brethren, Lord, we pray for all of them this morning.
including here at the Living Church, Father, that you bless our congregations, bless our us as men as we said to each other a few days ago to remain strong in the word, to remain faithful to proclaiming the gospel truth, to commit to biblical fidelity in all matters, no matter what pressures come from outside of the church or even inside the church, Lord. But may we stick to biblical fidelity, stick to your truth, and not forsake your truth. And not be ashamed of Christ. And Lord I pray this morning also. That as I preach this text about having freedom in the spirit. Fill me with your spirit Lord to teach this text well as I've labored over it all week. Lord may you grant saving faith to those who don't believe. And Lord, may you encourage the saints and illuminate your truth to us as this text is preached, Lord. Encourage us, empower us by your spirit to live according to the spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. Amen. Let us turn to Galatians, the fifth chapter. We're getting toward the last few sermons in our a time in this book. I pray that the Lord has blessed you all as we've gone through it. Learning what it means to live in the freedom that we have as believers and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage to the law and bondage to sin. And so this morning um, our topic is freedom in the spirit and we're going to look at verses 13 through 26 and this is the word of the Lord in Galatians 5 verses 13 through 26 excuse me Paul writes beginning at verse 13 for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity or an occasion for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say this then. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident or manifest, as some translations say. Uh, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ. Have crucified the flesh. 
with his passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Just as a very short introduction of the late theologian Abraham Kuyper said, God has so created human nature that without the Holy Spirit, it cannot have any virtue or holiness. God has so created human nature that without the Holy Spirit, it cannot have any virtue or holiness. In other words, a person cannot be virtuous or holy without the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder that in the Spirit's absence in our lives, we will be full of sin. Those who don't have the Spirit of God in their lives, meaning they're not believers, they are full of sin. But to every believer, the Spirit creates in us holy desires, enabling us to bear His fruit and empowering us to resist temptation. We are in debt to God, the Holy Spirit, every day as believers. Because it is the Spirit of God who energizes us, who animates us towards holy desires. We can't have holy desires apart from the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. Without the Spirit of God dwelling in us, our desires are not going to be holy. They're going to be unrighteous. They're going to be of the flesh. They're going to be things that lead to our destruction. You know the person who always says, man, I'm trying so hard to do right, but I can't. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. They're trying to do it under their own power and their flesh, and it's not going to work because you are not energized by the right thing. You're energized by your flesh as opposed to being energized by the Spirit of God. And in order to do that, you have to repent and believe in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. So the big idea of our message this morning is to use freedom as an opportunity to serve one another and walk in love by the spirit don't use it as an opportunity to fulfill the lust of the flesh in Christ we have freedom we talked about this last week and the week before last Paul says stand fast in liberty where Christ has set you free and not be entangled again with the yoke of slavery we're going to look more at what that freedom looks like because the freedom that we have in Christ is not the freedom to sin now that I'm saved, I can just sin, do whatever I want to do because I'm, I'm in Christ and I have all this grace. Freedom itself even comes with boundaries. So the first principle that we have, I think I have three principles here. Uh, the freedom in the spirit leads us to do three things. Number one, serve one another in the spirit. So let's look at verse 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity or an occasion for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. John MacArthur said in verses 5 
13 through 15, Paul gives four purposes of God's call to the freedom of loving him. Number one, to oppose the flesh, to serve others, to fulfill his moral law, and to avoid harming others. And here we're going to look at to serve one another. So we're free to serve. There are many ways in which we can serve one another through love. Number one, this is all spirit-filled and spirit-led. We've been called to liberty. We're not called to liberty to serve who? Ourselves, an opportunity or an occasion for the flesh. God did not save us to be unto ourselves. He saved us in the midst of a Christian community. And within that community, we do what? We serve each other. We love each other. We honor each other. Christianity is not some type of Lone Ranger uh, religion. We are saved. God saves us. God fills us with the spirit to have the freedom to serve each other, to serve the flock of God. So how does that look? There are many ways that we serve one another through love. Number one, we serve one another through love when we pray for one another. James 5 and 16 simply says, pray for one another. He's talking to believers. We should be praying for our church body in general, but also praying specifically for people within the church body. We should have each other in mind in our prayers whenever we pray. We should pray for each other in the church. We don't necessarily have to know needs. God knows them. If we do know the needs, we pray for those needs. But we pray for each other as believers, and we also pray for the church body. I try to model that in my pastoral prayer where I pray for God to address the needs in our church, like I prayed this morning for those who are uh, perhaps dealing with uh, despondency and discouragement. And then also pray for other, our other sister churches, our other like-minded churches. We're, we're praying for them also. So that's one way we serve each other is by praying for one another. It is, it is nearly impossible to harbor negative feelings towards someone that we pray for regularly. Also, we serve one another through love when we bear with one another. Paul said here in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called and to bear with one another in love. What this means is in the context of the Christian community, we decide to overlook offenses and not let them trip us up. We let go of ways in which other believers have injured us rather than carrying them around as burdens and nursing uh, burdens and grudges against fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we do that. The Bible tells us to bear with one another, to put up with one another. We deal with each other's personality differences. That's part of being in the body of Christ, right? We all have different personalities. Everybody may not like my personality. I'm thinking I'm the most wonderful person in the world, but I know that I'm not. Everybody may not like my personality. But as believers in Christ, we do what? We bear with each other. That's part of being in the body of Christ. That's part of loving each other. And that is done through a spirit-filled believer. We also serve one another through love when we encourage each other with encouraging words edifying words rather Paul says here in Ephesians 4 and 29 let no corrupt talk come from your mouths but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace 
to those who hear. So as believers, we, we should be doing what? Speaking encouraging words to one another. Encouraging each other in their walk with God. Encouraging each other in the faith. Encouraging each other in their, in their struggles. But you can't do that if you're not serving each other. And knowing what the needs are within the flock. We serve one another through love when we esteem those who owe us in the Lord. Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12 and 13. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you. And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Then this may sound self-serving for a pastor to quote this verse. But Paul also says in that next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12. Be at peace among yourselves. The esteem that the body shows toward those who are over them brings peace to the body of Christ. Because think, if you have people within the church who are tearing down the leadership of the church, what do you think that's going to do among the church body? It's going to bring what? Dissension. We've been part of churches like that before where you have people tearing down the, the pastor or the elders behind their back. And what does it do among the flock? It causes dissension. It causes factions to, to break out. And then you have, have turmoil within that church body. We serve one another through love when we count others more significant than ourselves. And Paul talks about this in uh, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4. That uh, in essence he says that we should uh, have the same love being in full accord of one mind. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility counting others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interests of others because he said later in that chapter this is the mind of Christ let the same mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus so how do we show love to one another we we esteem others better than ourselves and you think about this if everybody's esteeming each other then everybody would be esteemed if we esteem one another if we encourage and uplift one another then everyone would be what encouraged and uplifted and so that's those are just some instances that Paul himself lays out when it comes to serving one another. So he begins by saying this to the Galatians so that they will not become selfish and self-centered like the Judaizers were telling them to do. Because if they begin to try to be Jews, then they were going to be isolating those and not loving those who didn't want to do that. So Paul saying instead, no. You serve one another. That's how it looks. And then he begins next. With walking in love in verse 14 and 15. For all the laws fulfilled in one word. Even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another. Beware. Lest you be consumed by one another. So that is a, a warning. So how do we avoid the abuse. Of our liberty. We. We regulate our lives by the law of God. That's how we do it. The law serves to regulate. But it's not something that we can fully obey. But the law is still there to. It's almost like our guardrails. And it regulates our conduct. But Christian liberty expresses itself. Through love. 
And love expresses itself in obedience to the law. When we obey God's law, we're showing him that we love him. We're showing him that we honor him. John Piper said this about the love your neighbor as yourself here in verse 14. He says, love your neighbor as yourself is not a command to love yourself. You ever hear people say sometimes you can't love nobody else until you love yourself first? That's not true. That's not biblical. They use this love your neighbor as yourself almost as a springboard to say you can't love anybody else unless you learn to love yourself first. One of our culture's greatest mantras is love yourself. They even have t-shirts that says that say love yourself. There are books proclaiming you to love yourself. But Piper continues. I'm sorry, not John Piper, but Joseph. Yeah, John Piper says this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself is not a command to love yourself. It is a command to take your natural, already existing love of self and make it the measuring rod of your love for others. He says, what is your love for, for self based on? It is based on God's love for you. So when the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, it's saying you love your neighbor as if your neighbor was you. Okay. You love your neighbor as if your neighbor was you. Would you mistreat yourself? Would you harm yourself? No. So you don't do what? You don't mistreat your neighbor and you don't harm your neighbor. So when it says love your neighbor as yourself, you're loving your neighbor as if your neighbor is you. As if you would treat yourself. Just as Paul says in um, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in other words, you love your, you love your wife just as Christ loved the church. If you love your wife, guess what? If, you, if, if Christ loved the church, Christ didn't mistreat the church. Christ didn't dishonor the church. Christ didn't abandon the church. So guess what? The husband doesn't abandon his wife. The husband doesn't mistreat his wife. So it's the same analogy there. So the same thing with loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is how it looks as we have freedom in the spirit. Joseph Pippa, the Scottish theologian, said the commandment to love our neighbor is the summary of the last six commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments have two, two tablets. The first four deal with our relationship to God and the second, the last six, the second tablet are our relation to one another. You know, don't murder, don't uh, steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery, uh, children, obey your uh, parents, you know, honor your parents, and I'm leaving one out. Uh, not bearing false witness. Those are the last six commandments. Those commandments deal with our relationship with each other. And so he's saying that the love your neighbor as yourself is the summary of those um, other commandments because guess what? If you love your neighbor, you won't bear false witness. That means you won't lie under testimony. You won't, you know, you, you won't tell a lie on them. If you love your neighbor, you won't what? Steal from them. You won't murder them. You won't covet their possessions. You will honor your parents if you love your neighbor because your, your neighbor in that context will be your what? Your, your parents. So that's how loving your neighbor looks. It's, it's the second uh, tablet of the 
Ten Commandments, those last six of the Ten Commandments. He continues, the whole law is fulfilled in this one commandment. Jesus himself said that. A man asked him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second one is like it. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, all the law and all the prophets are contained in those two commandments. So this commandment to love one another, as Paul is saying here, he says it here in verse 14, the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But guess what happens if you don't love your neighbor as yourself? Verse 15, you do what? You, you bite and you devour one another. There will be mutual destruction. As spirit-filled believers, guess what? We love one another because the opposite of that is destruction. Donald Guthrie said the apostle thinks of a pack of wild animals flying at each other's throats. That's, that's, that's why he said devour. Animals devour each other. They consume one another. So Paul is saying, he's using very strong language to say, if you're not living in the liberty that you have in Christ by loving each other as believers, guess what you're going to do? You're going to devour each other like a pack of wild animals. You're going to consume each other. You're going to have factions within the church. You're going to have all these cliques and people just destroying and tearing down each other in the church if you're not walking in that freedom and loving one another. There will be bitterness, biting, biting words, harming words. And these things seek to destroy the fellowship of believers. So that's why he said, you're in the spirit, so walk in love. Which leads to our next principle. So now he establishes this, how that liberty looks. Don't use it as an occasion for the flesh. But serve one another and love your neighbor as yourself. So how are they to do this? Verse 16 tells us the second principle, walk in. Walk by the spirit. This is going to be the basically last the, the meat of our sermon this morning. Walk in the spirit or walk by the spirit. So he begins verse 16 by saying what? Walk in the spirit. So as opposed to. Using liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, you do what? Walk in the spirit. And if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And I think I said in our service details that I'm going to define those three terms. Walking in the spirit, flesh, and spirit. Like what, 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 When we're talking about the spirit, what are we talking about? Walking by the spirit is the only way to experience true freedom. The only way. The only way to experience true freedom is to walk by the Spirit. And with that, we will be free from carrying out the desires of the flesh, and we will have freedom from the law. So this is basically a simple formula for defeating the flesh. Walk by the spirit or walk in the spirit. 
And when he says, you do not fulfill, fulfill has a sense of carrying out the desires of the flesh. Excuse me. So what Paul does here is he contrasts walking by the spirit and carrying out the desires of the flesh. Now, when the Bible uses the term walk, it refers to our conduct, how we live. In other words, we are to live by the spirit. We are to have our conduct governed by the spirit. We are to walk or live by or in the spirit. In other words, we are to live our Christian lives in dependence upon the Holy Spirit being led by him. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He is the third person of the triune God. He is the one who applies God's truth to a person's heart. He is the one who saves and regenerates us. Titus 3 tells us that we are saved by regeneration by the Spirit. Titus says that in Titus 3. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us alive. It is the Holy Spirit who energizes a dead body to make him alive. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit also reveals God's truth to us. That's why we pray for illumination to, to be able to understand the truth of God. When you're reading the Bible, Lord, send your spirit to illuminate what I'm reading to, to make it clear. Jesus said in John 14 that he, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring back to your remembrance whatever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He teaches us God's truth. He leads us into all truth. We're going to flesh that out here in just a little bit. So let's define some terms here. I define the the. Holy Spirit. Now what does it mean to walk in the Spirit again? The verb carry out expresses a completed action. In other words, although we will fall into sin as believers, we will sin because we have sin in us. We always will. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Although we will fall into sin, believers, sin will never have dominion over you. Sin will never have power over you. You will not complete the desire of the flesh, as it says. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the spirit is in you desiring holiness, desiring after holiness. The spirit who lives in you is desiring after righteousness. You will grow in grace and victory. As believers. We're spirit filled. We're always going to desire what? Righteousness. We're, going, we're always going to desire to please God. We're always going to desire. To do what is pleasing in God's eyes. We're always going to desire. To obey God. That is what the Holy Spirit. Works in all who believe 
that desire for holiness, that desire for righteousness, that desire for truth. As I said earlier, you say, man, I just wish they would just do right. Y'all ever say that about people sometimes? They can't do right if they're not spirit-filled. If they're not in Christ, they're not going to just do right. If so, why do we need the Holy Spirit? If a person can just snap out of it, open sesame, and just start doing right all of a sudden. If they do, it's because the Spirit of Christ came upon them and saved them. But outside of that, guess what? They're not just going to do right by osmosis. It doesn't work that way. It is the Holy Spirit who does that work in us. John MacArthur said, among other things, walking implies progress. Going from where one is to where one ought to be. As a believer submits to the Spirit's control, he moves forward in his spiritual life. Step by step, the Spirit moves him from where he is toward where God wants him to be. So while it is the Spirit who is the source of all holy living, it is the believer who is commanded to walk. So in other words, we're not just zombies. The Holy Spirit works in us, but we work out, we walk out what the Spirit has worked in us. So the life of a Christian, a believer, is always progressing toward holiness and righteousness. Holiness in our thinking, holiness in our words, and holiness in our actions. We're always going to be progressing to that. We're going to sin, but with spirit filled, we're not going to wallow in that sin. We're not going to continue in that sin. We're not going to let the, those sinful desires just flesh themselves out and just give in to it and say, I don't care, I'm just going to do it anyway. No, that is not the Spirit of God at all. That's the, the Spirit of God causes us to agonize over our sins and hate our sins and hate the fact that we do sin. That's what the Spirit of God does in us. He gives us a holy desire for God and a hatred for the sin that lives in us. We begin to loathe our sins. We say, how in the world could I be so stupid? Why did I do that? And we go before the Lord and confess and, and, and say, Lord, give me the strength to, to, to turn away from doing that. That's what it looks like to walk in the spirit. How else does it look? We need to count on the presence of the Holy Spirit in us because he's in us. He resides in us. We know without a fact, without a doubt rather, that he is in us. We need to depend on the Spirit's help as our comforter, as our strengthener, and as our helper. We need to, as John MacArthur said, yield to the Spirit's control. We respond to the truth that God reveals to us by his spirit. We respond to it in the affirmative. And we trust in his working in us. We trust in the spirit's work in us. We trust it. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in my life by your spirit. Lord, continue to bring the fruit of the spirit to bear in my life. Lord, these are just simple prayers of prayer. Lord, help me to hate sin. Help me to hate the sin in my own life. Help me to resist the temptation to sin. 
And Lord, help me to hate the sin in others. Next, walk in the Spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we're talking about the flesh here. The International Bible Encyclopedia says that flesh, the word flesh may mean our physical nature in our body, but there's also a theological meaning to flesh. It says that the flesh describes our depravity. In other words, our inclination to sin, our sin nature. It says, for example, Romans 7 and 18, Paul says, for I knew that nothing, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Or as Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. The dictionary continues, every person born of a mother and father is by nature fleshly or sinful. That's the doctrine of original sin, that, that we're conceived in sin, that we're born in sin. In our new nature, however, we have a remnant of sin, which Paul calls the desire of the flesh. This remnant of sin is active in our appetites and in our lust and is a great source of temptation. And Satan acts on it and reminds, I'm sorry, and responds to the sinful enticements of the world. So the flesh is our sinful appetite that we all have. The flesh is our default sin nature. Newsflash. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. All of us have sin in us. Because of the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of us are sinners. All of us are tainted by the fall. All of us have sinful desires. And what Satan does is he acts on those desires. And the flesh responds to the sinful enticements of the world. Every Christian has this remnant of sin warring within them. And Paul talks about it in Romans 7. All of us have that, that remnant, that, 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 that residue. But Paul gives an antidote for this. And that is what? To walk by the Spirit. And I put this extra note in here. I said, you cannot just stop doing wrong by trying to do right. You cannot try to stop sinning by trying not to sin. It can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in the heart of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot stop sinning by trying not to sin. You have millions upon millions of people who are trying to do that. They're tired of doing wrong, so they try to just start doing right. It doesn't work that way. Because even your so-called righteous deeds are tainted with sin because you're doing it for selfish motives. Like the person who's enslaved to uh, various drugs and, and, and substances, they try their hardest to stop doing it. Some people, by God's grace, are able to do it for uh, uh, cold turkey. 
But in the general sense, most people can't, especially those who are addicted to like drugs and stuff. They're forever trying to do what? Stop. They, they, it's, it's so bad that they count the number of days that they're sober. Because they know that all it takes is one relapse. That's bondage. That's the type of slavery. But in Christ, when we're filled with his spirit, guess what? We don't have that prospect of being in bondage to the flesh. The flesh is still going to be there, but we're not going to be enslaved to it by just trying to do right. So Paul here highlights the intense battle between the flesh and the spirit. Look at what he says in verse 17. For the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you not do that so that you do not do the things that you wish or that you please now he's talking to believers here sometimes it's hard for us to do what we please why because we're at war with our flesh the thrust of what Paul wants to say is clear there's mutual antagonism between the flesh and and the spirit. But it doesn't end in a stalemate. It's not like it's a tug of war. And no one's winning. It's not where. It's an even draw. The spirit is the victor. The spirit always wins. And if we yield to the spirit. We'll find ourselves. We will triumph over the flesh. Not ultimately. That won't happen until God comes back. But we will triumph over the flesh we have great moments of triumph over the flesh so resisting the flesh isn't about willpower but it is about the spirit's empowerment we can't do it by willpower and it's not even about our overcoming the desires of the flesh with the spirit's help the spirit wins the victory we simply march under the banner because the victory is already won by the spirit we just march under that banner of victory. And then he says here, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The end of verse 18. John Piper says the spirit is not a leader like a pace car in the Indianapolis 500. He is a leader like a locomotive on a train. We do not follow in our strength. We are led by his power. So walk by the spirit means staying hooked up to the divine source of power wherever he leads. And by that we will not be under bondage to the law. And I put an extra note under that. I said the Holy Spirit would not lead the believer into a life of sin. He would never do that. He will not lead the believer into a life of fulfilling the sinful desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit of God will never do that. Never. And so now we get to verses 19 through 23. We're still under the same uh, walking in the spirit principle here. The works of the flesh are evident. Now what Paul is going to do in this section, these next few verses, is get the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And this is a very important uh, list here for a reason. So the deeds of the flesh are evident. 
And then he says at the end, he says, which I forewarn you. I'll tell you beforehand in verse 21. That those who practice such things would not inherit the kingdom of God. And these are the lists of them. I'm going to read the descriptions of them in short. Uh, Joseph Pippa in his commentary did a great uh, breakdown of these. I'm going to just explain these to y'all. I think he used the ESV translation for some of these. But he breaks them down into four categories. One, sins of a sexual nature. Sins of religious conduct. Sins of a social nature. And sins of appetite. So he breaks them down into uh, four distinct categories. So he lists three sins of sexual um, of a sexual nature. Adultery, fornication, and uncleanness or immorality. Okay? What is adultery? Adultery is a sexual sin in which a man or a woman has sex outside of their marriage with someone who is not their spouse. That's adultery, simply put. And then he lists immorality, which is basically fornication. And fornication deals with uh, all manner of sexual, uh, sinful sexual relations. Fornication is sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage. That's fornication. You know, you notice you don't hear any talk about that anymore in our culture. About that. Fornication is sexual immorality. It's a sin. And also the things that bring temptation to one of those acts, such as viewing pornography. That's a form of fornication. And it's a form of adultery because you're looking at something and lusting after. Jesus said himself that if a man looks after another woman to lust after her, he has already done what? Commit adultery in his heart. And it's not just to a man. It's, it's, it's a woman looking at a man or whatever the case may be. Looking upon any of that and having that desire in your heart itself is sexual immorality. And it includes all perversions of sexual relations, including homosexuality, bestiality, and pornography. All of that is under the guise of fornication. Fornication is sexual immorality. So it's a very broad umbrella. All these things, if you notice, our culture celebrates. Our country celebrates pornography. I mean, just look at a rated R movie. Or rated PG-13 movie. It celebrates pornography. It celebrates homosexuality, which is sexual immorality. It celebrates bestiality. You have bestiality culture. You have bestiality videos. It's celebrated in some circles, which it should be frowned upon universally, but it's not. And then he says, uncleanness. Uncleanness basically deals with uh, fantasies and lust worked out in thought, daydreams that are sinful, immoral conversations, books, movies that promote sexual impurity. All these deal with uncleanness. And as you think about this list, think about how much all this has pervaded our culture, how it's been normalized. And then he says, uh, licentiousness which is uh, sensuality which is lewdness this refers to uh, immodesty suggestive behavior 
and shamelessness. I talked about this, I think, in Bible study one night that, that, that shame it may have been last Sunday, that shame is no longer allowed in our culture. You can't shame people anymore for doing immoral things. I'm not talking about the body shame. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as far as shaming evil behavior. Like we celebrate it. Perfect example. What kind of videos do you see now on uh, videos of people doing what? Fighting. You notice no one steps in to break, break them up. People doing what? You got people fighting. You got folks videoing it. Putting it on TikTok. Putting it on uh, Facebook. It goes viral. Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot, so you see them on Twitter. No shame. No one say, hey, don't, don't, don't. You know, that's another image bearer of God. You know, like two or three people coming in. Men, men standing around looking at two girls just go at it, pulling each other's hair. Where are the men? That's the first thing I'm thinking. Where are the men? Breaking them up. You're image bearer of God. You're not supposed to treat another image bearer of God like that. But now everybody just does what? Takes out their phones. Why? Because there's no shame in our culture. Shame has been thrown out the window. Immorality is running. This is licentiousness. Licentiousness means basically having a license to do anything. Just no holes barred. Just no, no, no nothing immodest. I mean, everything's immodest, rather. Instead of being modest. You won't see immodesty go on Instagram. All you see is this. That's all you see. That's all you see. Immodesty. That's a work of the what? Flesh. That is not befitting of saints of God. Then he talks about sins of religious conduct. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hatred. Contentions. Jealousies. You know, we know what idolatry is. That is, that is worshiping of false gods. Uh, polytheism. Non-Trinitarian cults like uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, all the Eastern religions. Idolatry is the refusal to come to the true God and worship him. It is the failure to put God uh, first in trust and in our affections. It is the worship of many gods. It is the failure to worship the one true God. That is what idolatry is. It is also making images of God, how we think he looks. Pictures of Jesus. It is violating uh, the second commandment. All that is idolatry. Look at someone else as a mediator as opposed to Christ. You have people uh, doing crystals and all this other stuff. Trying to mediate the spirit world or the universe through crystals and incantations and Transcendental meditation, all that, all that is idolatry. It is not worshiping the one true God. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. It's not crystals, it's not nature, it's not putting stuff out in the universe, as people say. Sorcery, saying that's, I just basically mentioned sorcery, magic, spells, curses, witchcraft, occultism. Using mediums, fortune telling, astrology, psychic games like, you know, Ouija boards and all that stuff. Superstitions and superstitious acts 
like knocking on wood or crossing fingers or, or having a lucky rabbit's foot. Do you know all that is superstition, like crossing your fingers? Yeah, I do that sometimes. I'm like, man, hold on, what am I doing? You know, that's, that's, that's witchcraft. And having a, a lucky rabbit's foot and all this stuff, all that is witchcraft. And magic. That's works of the flesh. And then he has sins of a social nature. He says here, en enmities. Which says contentions, hatred, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Enmity is the state of bitterness and vindictiveness toward another person. That's what enmity looks like. It was like Esau's attitude toward his brother Jacob. It was like uh, Cain had enmity toward his brother Abel. And what did he do? He raised up his hand and killed him. That's what enmity looks like. And then he goes on. I'm going to get through this. Factions. Factions are like contentions. Disagreements that lead to hatred and strife. And then he says uh, envy. Envy is jealousy gone to the extreme. Envy actually leads to murder and hatred. Envy means to desire something that's not yours. Envy leads to, to covetousness. It is wicked malice. It is the motivated ill nature desire to destroy others because you cannot abide them and their success. You know, jealousy is a fruit of envy. You you dislike someone so much that you 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 desire you secretly desire them to be what destroyed. You you secretly harbor in your heart that you want something to happen to them. That's a fleshly work, because what did Paul say earlier? Love one another, serve one another. When you envy, you're not serving. When you when, when you're envying, you have hatred in your heart. You have animus towards a person, animosity. Is jealousy gone to the extreme? And then you have the sinful uh, uh, appetites, physical appetites. Well, we know what murders are. Murders, drunkenness. Now, drunkenness and reveries are the physical appetites. He says here, Paul condemns the abuse of or addiction to alcohol or any other substance that alters your behavior to a degree that you lose self-control. That's what drunkenness is. The Bible doesn't forbid drinking alcohol. It does not. It forbids what? Drunkenness. But for some like myself, I don't drink at all. I used to up until 30-something years ago because when I drank, I drank to get drunk. I didn't, I didn't do social drinking just to get tipsy, as they say. But even if you're tipsy, you're still not in your what? You're not in your same mind because if you... If you got pulled over and you breathe into that little tube, your blood alcohol level will be above the legal limit and you'll, you'll have a what? A DUI. Just from having one or two. And your whole driving record is messed up and your car insurance is probably going to get dropped or, uh, or go up and you're going to have a DUI on your uh, driving record. So it's the drinking to access that is the sin and the Bible for, forbids uh, drunkenness because 
anything that alters your behavior, alters your state of mind to where you lose self-control is, 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 is drunkenness. And then also he says carousing. Carousing refers to the ways of the world and the pursuit of sinful pleasures and appetite or hedonism. It's deliberately pursuing those things that are immoral by going to places and associating with people who are debauched. The debauch is just, just wicked. So these are works of the flesh, carousing, partying, and, and just eat, drinking, and be, being married. Just going, you know, people go partying every weekend. You know, they, they, they live for the weekend. They live to go to the club. They live to go knock back a six-pack or two. Or go knock down some shots with the boys. Or have a wild ladies' night. Hey, ladies, let's go ahead and get inebriated and look, look like a fool and embarrass our husbands and our children. Hey, guys, let's go out here and, 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 and get drunk and, and start fighting each other. And, you know, I don't know if y'all know this man named Dana White. He's, the, he's over UFC. It was a video of him slapping his wife. His wife slapped him first, but they were both drunk. They was at a New Year's Eve party in, in Las Vegas. That's where he lives. And uh, they were both drunk. And he, he said something to her, and she slapped him, and then he hauled off and slapped her back. And they went viral on, you know, whatever, social media, and everybody was talking about, you know, him slapping his wife. And then they, they both made a public apology. You know, it's the first time this ever happened. You know, we were both drunk. Well, that's what drunkenness leads to, right? You, you, you're slapping your spouse, and it's caught on video. And then you have to have a public embarrassment about it. So that's why Paul, and that's all that carousing and everything. So those all works of the flesh. And Paul says what? Those who do such things, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This does not mean that a Christian will not at times slip into those things. But a Christian will not do what? Actively practice these lifestyles. This is not an exhaustive list. And this list also shows us what our hearts are like and what our hearts are can go to it shows us even what true Christians are capable of there's not a sin on this list which we're incapable of committing if not for the spirit's help we're capable of all these things we can't look at these lists oh I would never do that uh, no that's pride <laughs> we cannot say that that is pride but this list dis discloses what will happen if we capitulate to the flesh. If we give in to the flesh, guess what? We can lead to any of these things. If we're not walking in the spirit, we're prone to do any of these things. And so we must know that though a Christian may have occasional lapses, a Christian will not fully capitulate to those works of the flesh. Okay, I always remember this. And I had to learn this. Uh, Bob had taught me this one time. And I say this a lot. Christians struggle with sin. Christians don't live in sin. We struggle against sin. We don't desire to sin. We hate to sin. We seek to do what? As the Bible says, put sin to death. Paul tells us that to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That means to actively put sin to death but a Christian would never say I give in 
I surrender. I'm just going to do it no matter what. That's not a spirit for a Christian. A Christian is not going to habitually live in sin. If a person does that, they don't have the spirit of Christ in them. But on the contrast, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is. Now notice he didn't say fruits as if they're nine separate. He says fruit. They are all part of one fruit. They are part of one spirit. These are not nine different fruits like you can possess one and not the other. These are not nine diverse fruits in which a Christian can possess a few. The term fruit is singular. So these nine together are the fruit that mark the Christian like a like a cluster of nine grapes on a grapevine. Those nine grapes are all part of the same vine. So what are they? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? So first we know what love is. Love is, I'm not going to say love is love because love is not love, as the world says. Love, first of all, has an object. Love has an originator. Who is the originator of love? Christ. Christ is the author of love. Love is self-sacrificial. Love seeks the good of its neighbor. That's what love does. Love does not approve of sin. Love doesn't affirm sin. Love also proclaims truth just as Christ did. In love, Christ proclaimed God's truth. And then the next one is what? Joy. Joy is that which comes from uh, having hope in Christ. Having this full hope and assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's based on the unchanging divine promises of God. We have joy. Why? Because we serve a God who doesn't change. We have promises that God will fulfill. It's um, what Joseph Pippa says here. It is the experience of knowing that all is well between us and God. That brings great joy to the believer. That God is pleased with us. Because we're in his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say something about these fruit because you have people saying things sometimes. I used to say it myself before I knew better. The devil can't take any of these away from us. You know, how people say, uh, I ain't going to let the devil steal my joy. He can't steal it. It's not his. The devil can't take anything from you <laughs> that God has given to you. That makes him more powerful than God. If you have the spirit of Christ in you, the devil cannot take anything from you. He can't take your joy. He can't take your love. He can't take your peace from you. 
Why? Because it's not his. He has no power over that. I mean, we've seen a song, uh, you know, I went to the enemy's camp and I took everything he stole from me. You know, took back what he stole from me. You know, I went to the enemy's camp against Satan's camp and took back what he stole from me. Yeah, I used to believe that because I, I wasn't taught the word of God, right? But the devil can't take that from us because it's not his in the first place. It belongs to God. The devil can't take back what take back from us what we have in Christ. Now he may tempt us. He may seek to. He may desire to. He may send us send things our way to to take our gaze off of Christ. But he can't take those things from us. He can't take our joy from us. Joy comes from God. It is a it is a product of the fruit of the spirit. Then he says peace. Of course, you know, peace is the peace that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is the inner calm that God gives us that we have because we're in Christ. We're at peace. We have peace because we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God through Christ, and that gives us peace. We don't have to worry about whether we're right with God or not as believers. And that gives us peace. Because we know, you know how it is when you're at odds with somebody? There's strife. But then you all reconcile. And guess what happens? You're back at peace. Sometimes a husband and wife sometimes, uh, right there on the mayor, may have times where they that there are disagreements and, and you, don't, you don't speak to each other for a couple of hours or you know, when you go to bed you turn to the opposite side and all that stuff and you know you do all that and then you wake up the next day you know you may not say good morning to each other and stuff but then after a while you know the husband and wife come to their senses right and then they, they talk and they reconcile and then they're what back at peace with each other back to speaking to each other being affectionate toward one another we have that same peace with God, but it's permanent because we're in Christ. We're permanently at peace with God. And that bond cannot be broken. So that's where that peace comes from. Long suffering. It means what it says. Suffering long. Suffering through trials. Troubles. Tribulations. Having patience and enduring sufferings. And then... Uh, Kindness. That means tender concern for others. And then goodness. It's connected. It's goodness is, is, is connected to uh, kindness. It's the moral character disposition that motivates us to do right acts to others, to behave towards each other on the basis of the law of God. And to do good and seek the well-being of our neighbor. That's what goodness looks like. Faithfulness, that's self-explanatory. Being honest and dependable. It's a divine attribute of God that God shares with us. It is, is a communicable attribute. God's faithfulness is his truthfulness. God is faithful, so guess what? He calls us to be faithful. We keep our word. We keep our commitments. That's what faithfulness looks like. 
Are we faithful on our jobs? Are we faithful to our spouses? Are we faithful to our friends, family members? We live before God. We're faithful before him. We believe and love all he has said in his word. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. Christians, we should desire to be known for keeping our word. We should be the most dependable people on our jobs. In the classroom, children, we should be the most well-behaved students. We're we're ambassadors for Christ. On our jobs, we should be what? The hardest workers. We should be the the least one complaining on our jobs. That's part of faithfulness. We fall short of that sometimes, don't we? Amen. As Brother Balcom would say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Then you have gentleness, which is meekness. Okay? Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness or meekness is the attitude that humbles oneself under God's word and under your neighbor. Being able to take orders, not being proud. Being able to serve under someone. is It takes meekness to do that. And then, self-control. Self-explanatory. This affects the appetite and affections. A person with self-control governs themselves well in all areas of life. They're not out of control in their behavior. Not out of control how they treat their bodies, how they treat others. They, they, are, they are measured. They submit to God's will and his word. They, they learn to control their emotions regardless of the circumstances. That's what self-control looks like. And so that's, those are all fruit of the spirit. As opposed to the what? The works of the flesh. You see the contrast between those things? The fruit of the spirit give life. The works of the flesh bring just death and destruction and, 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 and terror and misery to the soul. So Paul says here at the end as we get ready to close out. And these who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit let us also do what? Walk in the spirit or walk by the spirit. And as we do that, let us not be conceited. Let us not be boastful. He's telling the Galatians, don't be boastful because you're walking according to the spirit and not fearing the lust of the flesh. Challenging one another and envying one another because that's what it leads to. So when we fail to walk in the spirit, that's what happens. We begin to come, become boastful. We boast in our flesh and not by the spirit. As we close, just three questions to think about. What type of struggle do you see in your heart between your old sinful nature and the spirit of God? Let's think about your own life. We all see that internal struggle, don't we? But just remember, true believers don't capitulate. We don't give in. We war against with the spirit's help. We seek to put sin to death. One way to do that is by not giving occasion to sin, as Paul said, giving occasion to the flesh, putting yourself in situations where it'll even, hap- it'll even happen. Jesus said, he used this uh, analogy, if your 
right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. You'd rather enter heaven blind, okay, enter into eternal life blind, than let your whole body perish in hell. What's causing you to stumble? What's causing you to sin? What people are causing you to sin? Do what? Guess what? Cut them off. Hey, man, I care about my soul more than I care about this friendship or this relationship. Number two, how can we keep on renewing our commitment to walk in the spirit? By praying, by asking for uh, the spirit's help, by seeking the Lord. Lord, help me. It's a renewed commitment every day. Lord, help me to walk by your spirit today. Help me to not fulfill the desires sinful flesh help me to live out the fruit of the spirit in my life we have to constantly pray and depend on God to do that and how do we see the fruit of the spirit in the life of Christ we see it in everything Christ is love he is the epitome of love he is joy he is our joy he is peace he is the peace of God believe in him and we have peace with God he's long suffering he suffered on our behalf he suffered on the cross he suffered six hours on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He's the kind, loving Savior. He exemplified goodness in everything that he did. He was faithful. He was faithful to his call to go to the cross and die. He took the cup of suffering on our behalf. And he was gentle. And he exuded self-control. We see all this in Christ. And that's why we continue to look to him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for helping me. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word today. My prayer is that, Lord, we walk in the spirit. That we walk in step with the spirit, that we keep in step with the spirit. So that we will not fulfill the sinful desires of our flesh. Well, there's a war going on in every believer. There's a war between the flesh and the spirit. But Lord, this is not a stalemate. The spirit has won the victory over the flesh for us. We are called to walk in that victory, to walk in the spirit. So Lord, everyone in here who is a believer, everyone who hears this who is a believer, help us, Lord, to walk in the spirit. And Lord, those who are not in you, those who are not believers, those who haven't bowed the knee to you, Lord, they're still in their sins. They're still walking according to their sinful desires. And Lord, they are trapped. They are in bondage to their sins. They're in bondage to their sinful desires. Lord, grant them repentance. Grant them saving faith so that they may repent and turn from fulfilling the desires of their flesh. And turn to live in Christ and be saved. And be filled with the spirit. And be able to walk in the freedom. That the spirit gives. Lord bless your word. May it encourage the faith. And may it convict sinners. And bring them to salvation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.